we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verses 7 through 10. But before we do, we're going to look at the psalm that we just read part of a few moments ago, Psalm 73. The word of God is timeless. It's truth as fresh today as when it was first written. Psalm 73, a prime example of this. People doing wicked things were not only escaping punishment, but they were prospering. <clears throat> Asap says his feet almost stumbled. He was being tripped up. He was being scandalized. Not literally stumbling, but detoured on the path of righteousness. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 7 and verse 22 when he was responding to John the Baptist who was in prison and had sent his disciples to ask Jesus if truly he was the one. Luke 7 and verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And literally, that means made to stumble. Now, if we come back to Psalm 73 in verses Verses 4 through 9, he talks about the ease of the life of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly. And concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. The ease of the life, and it seemed like they, they challenged God, and they, they went against everything that God taught, and yet they still seemed to prosper in this, earth, in this earthly walk. He said in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And because of the angst and anger that this formed, he came and said, This surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So the situation caused him to think irrationally. But there was something that happened next that changed it all for him. And we see it in verse 17. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then, then I understood their end. What will become of them? What will happen to them? Now if we turn now to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
And as we look at verses 7 through 10, at first it doesn't seem like they're, they're combined or they work together, but we'll see how they do. When we come to verse 7, he said, Surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and bribe debases the heart. Surely oppression Wickedness destroys a wise man's reason. And we just saw the proof of it there in the 73rd Psalm. It's very easy for us to be reactive. It is the way of the world around us. Solomon wrote in chapter 3 and verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of righteousness, Iniquity was there. These things well up in the righteous and it causes them anger to a certain degree. And then the anger develops into thoughts that do not follow with rationality. He said in the place of judgment there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And we look to our own time and we see some of the things that are taking place in the world around us and even in our own nation. And we, we look and we have a great difficulty in trusting some of the agencies that we thought were supposed to be far away from any kind of bias and set on catching and punishing those who break the law. And we find as we look at uh, hearings in the House of Representatives, we, we find speeches with great incredulity. questioning the standards or at least seeming standards we see it takes years <clears throat> excuse me for a laptop of a president's son full of incriminating evidence we see first the denial of it and then years later years later there's a slap on the wrist and this causes a reaction and the reaction is well they're all corrupt every one of them the whole thing's corrupt there's no justice and these are things that are brought front and center to us and played over and over again videos of criminals who had just been released go out and, and commit more crime causing many to say, well, there's just no law and order in this world. I go down this trail a lot because I, as a shepherd, I care for what the flock sees. Would you remember that news outlets, quote, news outlets, are businesses they are arms of entertainment. They are based upon ratings. The better the ratings, the more they can charge for advertisement. And so therefore, those things that they seem will pull in the more ratings, these are the things that you see over and over again. And when you see something over and over again, it gets to the point where you say, well, this must be happening all the time everywhere. And you can be like 
Asaph and say, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. What's the profit of being good in an evil world? In Proverbs 17, verse 23, A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. In Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 23, he writes, Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless nor the cause of the widow. Does the cause of the widow come before them? And in chapter 33, verse 15, he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppression, who gestures with his hand refuting, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of the rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be secure. There is a blessing. There is a reason to do goodness and to do righteousness. For wise people can be brought to fretting and rage. And often it's because they're more aware of what is going on. I have a Yahoo email address. And whenever I go to the email, first it goes to the Yahoo homepage. And I don't know if anybody has the same sort of setup and if anybody's been there. It is a mess. You read, and there's three or four articles about politics and the dire things that are happening around us. And then so-and-so shows off her figure with a strapless gown. And there's three or four articles about Hollywood stars in their immoral dressing. And then there'll be another thing about a robbery or, but it's such a, a, a picture to me, a, a snapshot of the time. You either have people who, I wonder what she wore on the white, on the red carpet this week. And the other saying, well, you know, everybody on the right's an idiot. And the left saying, everybody on the right is an idiot. And you, you look at these things, those if you, if you read this enough, you think that the world's a mess, but we understand that there are people who go through their life and the, it seems like the biggest thing that happens to them is, is what shoes did so-and-so wear? He says here, a bribe in Ecclesiastes 7, and verse 7, a bribe debases the heart. A person who accepts a bribe is immediately, their heart is debased, it corrupts them, 
It deprives a person of the use of their understanding. And of course, here it says, it debases the heart. Well, remember in the Old Testament, the heart is not the emotional thing that we think about, but the heart is equivalent to the mind, the, the seed of our thoughts and our actions, our understanding. And what is he getting at? What is scripture? Uh, what is scripture, God in his word, uh, wanting us to see? It is this. A person needs to show restraint. There are many influences that can pervert the mind. And with the overexposure to media, one can become extremely jaded very quickly. If you watch the major media, you will think that Washington, D.C. is the most important place on earth. And in Washington, D.C., they want you to think that just as well. That politics is everything. The left says things are corrupt because of the right. The right says things are corrupt because of the left. I'm going to say something that sounds very radical and almost off the charts. Do you know and do you understand what the most important place in the world really is? It's not Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. can disappear. And the most important thing will stand. And the most important thing is, we're turning these things around. It's going to look, sound really weird to some people. The most important place in the world is where God chooses to reveal himself to his people. For there eternal truth is to be found. To there, the eternal God shows himself to us, reveals himself to his people. What do you find in all the, oh, we'll take you away from God because you need to look at this senator because he's going to save us. No, he's not. Nor is that representative. Nor is that judge. The most important place on the face of the earth is the place where God reveals himself to his people. Asaph, after watching what was going on with the wicked, wanted to yell out, oh, it's all useless. Wrong to try to be decent, to try to be godly. And then what happened? He went to the house of of the Lord and his reason was restored then he said I understood the end what happens to the wicked this is one of the great benefits of worship it causes us it should cause us to think now I know in a lot of places that call themselves churches there's not much thinking going on it's all about feeling. But it should cause us to move beyond the moment. To have our, our reason restored. To see things with the eyes of faith. 
against the backdrop of eternity. I'm sure most of you have probably seen videos of road rage incidents. Generally, it happens when somebody makes an inadvertent mistake, but it sends the person behind them into a rage. And they do things that seem absolutely insane in response to the small thing that happened in front of them. The Puritan John Trapp wrote, anger is a short madness. In essence, a short burst of insanity. Rashness, lack of self-control makes a person a slave to their passions. In verse 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he says, The end of a thing is better than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. That's the it is better statement that we've been looking for and, and seeing the different ones as we've been going through chapter 7. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. As the New English Bible puts it, better patience than pride. Pride is at the heart of basically all angry outbursts. The one who is going through the road rage is basically saying, how dare they do that in front of me? How dare they get into my lane? If they were looking and they saw it happen over in the distance, they wouldn't be that troubled at all. Well, that's happening to them. But oh, it happened to me. It put me in danger. Notice, pride is at the heart of basically all angry outbursts. Verse 8 begins with the end of a thing is better than the beginning. And it's probably very much speaking about speech, how we speak. We need to be cautious in our speech to think. For it's only after you have spoken that you will know the full effect of what you said. The full effect of your words. So in light of this, we see verse 9, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. Should I read what's next? For anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry. Why? Because anger rests in the bosom of fools. You see that word rests? It means it takes up an abode. It stays there. Don't be in a hurry to give expression or vent to your anger. It's telling us a hard truth that only the foolish are quick-tempered. Be wise about your speech. Think twice. Better think thrice. 
be not quick to show resentment, for resentment is nursed by fools. So you see, what he's getting at in this whole section is anger, resentment, rashness, cause us to things, say things like we see in verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. You see, rashness of thought and quick rise to anger makes us question God and his providence. Our minds and our memories are funny and they're fuzzy. There are events we take pictures of because we wish to remember them. And then they go on a thumb drive and you don't see them again. Or they go into a shoebox if you made hard copies of them and they get stashed somewhere. There are events we wish to remember. There are many events we wish to forget. And there are other things that happen in our life we just flat forget. And a statement like this, well, why are, the, why are the former days better than these? That's a statement that is born of rashness. And Solomon says, when you ask a question like this, you don't inquire wisely concerning this. In essence, to shorten it down to a modern type of speaking, it's like Solomon saying, that's a foolish question. Reason is better than rashness. Reactionary responses consumed by anger. And where is it taught anymore? So often people say, just express yourself. Express it. Let it fly. Don't hold on to it. Verses 8 and 9 make clear we need to think twice, maybe three to four times. Because when it comes to the words, I wish I hadn't said that or done that, those are words that come too late. I want to close by give, giving two illustrations, two examples. A friend of mine in the ministry once said, a sermon is like going to the grocery store. We fill your cart, but we don't come to your house and show you how to prepare what you purchased. You have the ingredients. Now pray and put them together correctly. And first I will point to an illustration. And the first illustration is Jonah. Jonah was a man ate up with pride. And a prime example of that pride was God told him to go speak to the Gentiles. And he thought, I'm a Jew. I'm not a dog. I'm not like those filthy Gentiles. You know, even touching them will defile me. 
You want me to go and speak words of warning from God, God's word to them? And so he's got pride in his heritage. He couldn't be bothered going to the Gentile nation in Nineveh to carry God's message to them. But convinced by some very strong providential persuasion by God, he ends up going. He goes through the city with this message of destruction. And then he situates himself on the hill outside the city. These Gentile pigs, they're not going to turn, so I'll get a front row seat on the destruction of Nineveh. And he gets up on the hill, and he makes sure that he got, has nothing in the way that he can see from above what goes down on in the city. And in that prime hillside seat, the Lord fashions a plant for him with a large leaf that comes over and covers his head to shade his head from the heat. Because if you're going to watch a city be destroyed, you might as well be comfortable doing it. But the people repented. The people repented. And in his anger, when he saw the people repenting, he said, it is better that I die. It is better for me to die than for to live. And then when he loses his canopy, when the leaf withers, he says again, it is better for me to die than to live. And both times God says and gives a question to him, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? As the hot wind blew upon him and the sun beat down upon him. In his anger, he replies rashly, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God says, is it right for you to be angry? Can we remember those words? When we are roused to be angered over something, can we not hear the word of God in our minds say, is it right for you be angry. Oh, if we could hear those words ourselves. The next illustration I want to give is the Lord Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 11, there seems like there's some rashness going on here. He comes into Jerusalem and in verse 15 of Mark chapter 11, so they came to Jerusalem. Jesus, then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught them saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Oh, was this a rash reaction by Jesus upon seeing this? Was he, was he not even thinking as he just purely reacted? Well, see, that's why we need to read the whole thing. 
Because if we go back to verse 11, we note this. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany to be with the twelve. So he didn't just come into Jerusalem, see what was going on in the temple, and fly into a rage. He came the day before, saw what was going on. He went back because it was the end of the day to Bethany. And then the next day he comes to Jerusalem, and that's when he cleans the temple. It wasn't, bang! I see this, I'm angry, wipe it out. And someone said, well, what, yeah, what about John chapter 2? Sounds like that. This is the that would have been the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple. The first time happened in in John chapter two and verses uh, 13, 14. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple of those who sold oxen and sheep and dove, and money changers doing business. So he sees what's going on. So what does he do? Well, verse 15. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple. So he sees what's going on. He takes some time and he makes a whip. It's not an instantaneous reaction. As he's making the whip, he's thinking about the purpose. He's thinking about what this house represents. He thinks about what these people are doing. And he responds, and he responds rightly because it's a righteous anger that he has. You see, there is a way to be angry and not sin, but I would say few there are that find it. Yet, Sometimes we don't give vent to our anger, but we hold it inside. And later it will bring out an outburst of rashness. Anger is something we all deal with. If someone says, I don't have a problem with anger, I will tell you, you have a problem with the truth. Because if you go through life and nothing angers you, something's wrong. But in our anger and in our rashness, we have a Savior. Anger reminds us, like the myriad of other sins, that each and every day we need the cross. We need to go to the cross each and every day. Not just when we feel it real bad, but every single day there's a reason for us to go to the cross, to remember, to confess, and Remember our forgiveness.
And there as we do that, we must pray for grace. Grace to mortify the sin. That is, to kill the sin. But how are we going to do it? By taking a 12-step course on how to deal with your anger? Only by praying to God for the grace because in overcoming our anger, we're coming over, overcoming the old man, the old nature. It still wars within us. And the only way we can win this war is through God's grace working in us. So when you feel it welling up in you, let the word of God speak to you and say, are you right? be angry and if anger has caused us to say and speak things that we should not have let us go to the cross and pray for grace for in this life perfection will not be attained but there will be many battles through Christ that we will win let's stand together for prayer